It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. We are into week three of the Canadian Football League here in 2023. Some topics that I'd like to get into, Heath, if that's okay with you. First and foremost, statistics coming out of the CFL after games are over. We've seen it a couple times now where the stats are either delayed by 12 to 18 hours or sometimes they're actually redone. The, the packages reset, as it were, because of some minor incongruities. Sadly, I see this on Twitter far too much. People blow up at the stats department, at the league, calling it this, that, and the other thing, blaming them for what's happening. Now, just a simple look or a overview of what's been happening in the CFL in the last 15 years. The stats department developed a system that had worked beautifully. CFL signs a deal with Genius Sports. Genius Sports comes in and says, we've got to make this programming applicable such that we can use it for betting, game day, prop betting, all the rest. So they've come up with a new program, a whole new software suite. It has had its foibles. Why? Genius Sports package came out of the NCAA. Well, the NCAA rules are not exactly the CFL rules, and nor are the interpretations. So they had to make some allowances, make changes, rewrite portions of it. As this goes on, the two sides are working together as best they can to get this right. People have said, well, why didn't you sim games and all this sort of stuff in the, in the preseason or long before the preseason started? They did. They ran this. But you don't know everything there is until you actually run it for real. And this is the part of the equation I don't get with people screaming about this. The stats department is getting it right. You may not get it five minutes after the game like you want, but you're getting it regardless, and it is correct when it's finally done. What more can you ask of them? Genius Sports is trying to get their software suite to work with the Canadian Football League rules. They're doing what they can. If you have questions as to why this hasn't happened, talk to Genius Sports. They're the ones that are bringing in the new stuff. But don't kick the guys that are getting it right. Don't kick the CFL stats department. They're the ones that are at the games, charting every play, making sure that every piece of information they put on paper at the end of the day is, to their knowledge, accurate and will withstand a test. As far as I'm concerned, quit beating up on the CFL over this. I have seen criticism hurled at Genius Sports as well as the the CFL themselves. It is a bad look when there was so much talk about in-game betting being a savior for CFL football, getting more fan involvement, getting some more dollars to the league, to not have accurate information available to all contributors at this point is a really really bad look for the league and unfortunately it is the league that that is the front of it not genius sports there's a lot of people that are wagering that don't understand the relationship and the partnership between the two all they're seeing is cfl information is not available for the sake of everybody involved i hope it gets fixed very quickly and some of the discrepancies 
have been in, I believe there was a yards passing that was out by about 40 yards that was later updated. So you're, you're getting some, some conflicting information right away. It is important to get it right at the end of the day and, and make sure it's all correct. But a huge part right now is the in-game prop betting, where if that information isn't coming readily available, the league is losing out and Genius Sports is losing out on that, that revenue. But the league had a software suite that worked. The change came when Genius Sports came with theirs and said they would like to do it this way. And the CFL had an agreement and they said, okay, we're going to do it this way. Now, you could argue that, yes, it is a bad look. But for goodness sakes, this is week two. There isn't that much that has been off. Yes, it's been an annoyance when it has been. There is, within the, the stats department, they vet it, they audit it, they do everything to make sure it's right. Even if they have to go back and rewatch the game, they will do it to make sure that everything is as accurate as is possible. So to bash them is ridiculous. It's not their fault. This is a software program that isn't working. So if you want to put up on Twitter that the software program sucks or whatever, go for it. But leave the people that are trying to get this right out of the equation. You, sometimes machines just don't respond to humans that well. And maybe you know the answer to this one. Maybe you don't. I have noticed even the the national broadcaster, TSN, during the game, the information isn't available on their app often. Is that in relation, are they supposed to be getting that correct information through Genius Sports as well? Or is that another software program and a completely different entity that is having similar issues? That I can't speak to. I don't know, but I imagine it's probably something to do with the the programming being done by Genius. Now, I don't want to kick Genius in the teeth because they're, they're learning as well as everybody else, right? They, they came into the situation with a lot of high hopes. They now know that this is going to take some elbow grease, that there is going to be some long nights trying to figure this out. Coding, if you're a software engineer, you know what coding means. It could be the niggliest little piece of information that's just off that creates a real problem. Let's just chill, relax, enjoy the football. If you're off by a few yards, no one's going to remember in a week's time anyway. The stats package will have get out to you. It'll all be corrected there. Life will go on. This is, again, a learning experience. And you learn from mistakes. That is the only way you learn. They are getting better. The booth review came into the fore over the last weekend. We saw it first in Saskatchewan, where a Janarian Grant 92-yard punt return for a score looked like it was going to be called back because of penalty. Now, on the play, I think Grant runs about 150 yards to score that touchdown. I do believe, if I kept my count correct, that every player on the field and every player on the Saskatchewan bench missed him as he went down the field. That's a pretty accurate uh, replay. He took full advantage of that 65-yard wide field to come all the way across and and the 92 yards north to south. It was quite the impressive play overall. 
A flag is down near the Rough Rider bench. The bench, you can see, is pointing to that flag as if this is going to be called back. Now, Mike O'Shea is probably one of the brightest people in the league, in fact, in football, period. And he knows the rules. Mike Spidey senses start tingling. And he wants, and this is where he's brilliant at this, he wants a review. This is where you review. This is a game-changing play. Not a five-yard out that there may have been interference. This is a game-changing play. He gets the review because you can review. It rarely happens with kick returns, but it does happen. It has happened. He gets the review, and Command Center looks at everything. And they've got way more cameras than TSN has. They look at everything. One questionable block, they rule that it was shoulder-to-shoulder, which means it's totally legal, and it's a touchdown. Personally, I'd rather see that be a touchdown and have that replay go over Twitter like it did, or the alternative is it's a foul and it gets called back, and that genius is lost. I I was so happy that that play was allowed to stand. I heard Mike O'Shea on the coach's show on CJOB Radio earlier this week talking about the reasoning behind throwing the flag as well. And you hit the nail on the head there, Don. It was a scoring play that they felt was worth a review. That was why he threw the flag. It was a smart play. They had enough time. There was an injury on the field as well. So they had a few extra seconds to have a look at things on their own. They had their iPad out right away checking things out. Felt that it was close enough that it was worthwhile to have that challenge flag thrown. And it does look like it was the less morale block that was the most questionable one but did seem to be shoulder to shoulder upon review Uh, an exciting play punts and kick returns are some of the great things in the cfl i can go on a rant about the touchbacks in the nfl taking away the return game or even the fair catches for that matter but that's one of the things that makes cfl football great and this was certainly one of the best punt return touchdowns that you will see it ranks up there as one of the greatest plays you'll ever see. Janarian Grant, how he had the stamina to turn the corner and still go down the field, because he had a 60-yard sprint to get over there in the first place. Saskatchewan's coach, Craig Dickinson, did say that maybe the guys let up because they saw the flag, but to where I could see from my spot in the stadium, the flag was behind everybody that was running. So I don't think any of them were aware that there was a flag on the play. They got beat to the corner, back breaking play for the Rough Riders to take at that time. Mike O'Shea, full marks for doing it right. Asking to get a review at a critical moment in time when a score was on the line. That, that's the real reason why you want review. An interesting aspect of this review as well is that they reviewed the entire play and every block. Normally, if you're throwing a challenge flag on a pass interference, a roughing the passer, one of those calls on an offense-defense situation, the booth review and the command center review is to look specifically at that single infraction. The fact that they reviewed every single block and they were all deemed legal is a, a minor miracle. There, there's often blocks and questionable moments in a return that don't get called that easily could be. So 
hats off to that Winnipeg special teams for keeping it clean across the field on that. It turned out to be about a 15 second play overall from the uh, the time that Janarian Grant caught the punt to when he crossed the goal line. The other big booth review came in the game between the Elks and the BC Lions. And this one is a little bit more nebulous and a little bit more interesting because while we rarely get a, a review on a kick return, I don't remember the booth ever saying that a player was stopped in his motion. And this comes down to Kai Loxley diving into the line, sort of twisting, falling backwards. And Quincy Mauger pulls the ball out of his hand. The officials are all right there. He takes off. The Elks stand around thinking the play's dead, but Mauger's going for a touchdown. Nobody had blown a whistle. Somehow, some way, well, obviously because it was a booth review because of the turnover, but somehow they ruled that the play was dead. Yet, there, from what I understand, there was no whistle on the play. That, to me, is the responsibility of the officials on the field to decide when a play is dead, not the booth. I'm with you on that one. You're always taught in any, any whistle sport that you play to the whistle. The fact that there wasn't one would indicate that the ball is still in play. These goal line or, or short yardage situations are tough to judge. We saw last year Dane Evans was stripped for a, a fumble return for a touchdown in a similar situation where his first push to the line didn't quite work out. He was kind of recovering and moving forward again when the ball was taken away from him. But at what point do you deem that forward momentum to be stopped in the play over? There has to be a whistle to indicate that. It, it can't be up to the booth to decide the whistle should have been blown? Is that what they were going for in this situation? That's a great question. This is not a mistake. This is a very highly subjective moment in time when you decide that a player's forward motion has been stopped and that there is no more consequence to having this play run. Loxley is in the line. He's twisting and turning and but starts to fall backwards. And that's at the moment that... Mauger gets the football. The head official is literally three yards away looking at this. He gets overruled because of what the booth does. I, I really don't like that at all. And I think the booth really overstepped. They're human. I would rather have the booth being able to review calls and get them right. The majority of the time, let's, let's give them credit. The majority of the time, the booth does get it right. And that's everything from uh, a roughing the passer to whether it was a catch or not. There's a, a million things that they are looking at in these situations. I guess maybe that's part of the point is they should be looking and not necessarily listening if there was no whistle to, to end that play. Well, they have to listen for a whistle because if there was one, then the play is dead anyway. If there's no whistle, that play is not dead. That one, they have to walk back. You can't do that. You have to leave that to the people on the field. They are right there. There's a head umpire, there's a head referee, and there's a back umpire all looking at that spot. They're, all the officials are compressing on that area. They all saw what was going on, and none of them blew their whistle. Too bad that the Elks stopped on the play. That's their problem. Nobody said that you had to. They just chose not to. Late in that Rough Riders-Blue Bombers game, Saskatchewan, after the Janarian Grant touchdown, 
They're down by 14 with about eight minutes to go, and they're third down and 10 at the Winnipeg 11. Saskatchewan's coach decides to go for a field goal, leaving them 11 behind. After the game, he said he might have changed his mind. It's still a two-score game if you kick the field goal, and this is an interesting debate. You're down 14, you're, you're third and 10 at the 11. There's eight minutes to go. You maybe have two more possessions. What do you do? Do you kick the field goal and get to 11? Or do you try to go for the score? And if you miss, you're still down 14. But nonetheless, you're still down two scores. I guess the thought process is it's easier to score 11 points than it is to score 14 because you do have that option of a field goal. Granted, you also need the touchdown in a two-point convert, so that increases the challenge a little bit. There's one coaching philosophy that says always take the points. There's another one that you start to do the math and, and see what is the more reasonable expectation. Now, getting two touchdowns in eight minutes isn't unheard of in the CFL. A lot can happen, especially even you've got a kick return guy like Mario Alford out there that can return one for a touchdown to take away the Janarian Grant touchdown to cancel it out. Uh, that possibility is there, and that can turn things around quickly as well. The Bombers and Riders play three times this year, so there's no point differential in a head-to-head between the two teams. Uh, there are points scored for and against in other tie-breaking scenarios as you get further into division standings, that sort of thing. So from that regard, maybe it was smart for Dickinson to get three points to get an extra score on the board when you start looking into that aspect. If I was the head coach, and it's always a difficult situation to put yourself in, but running out of time and seeing how Winnipeg was performing, I believe the better chance would have been to go for it and try to put up the seven points. If Winnipeg even gets a single afterwards, Saskatchewan is now back to two touchdowns anyway. What has the field goal really netted you? It's a it's an interesting philosophy debate, and you're right. It's it's you have to sequence it with how much time is left in the game, how many times you're going to touch the ball. Do you have confidence in your offense up until that moment? The Riders, every time they'd gotten down into red zone, green zone, whatever you want to call it, they had scored a touchdown. They were three for three up to that point, and then they gave it up on this one. It 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 just makes you appreciate more how difficult some coaching decisions can be. Mm-hmm. Second down. Four games in the Canadian Football League. We start in Ottawa, where the Red Blacks. Here's a question: Who's going to have the longest home streak? But who's going to have the longest home losing streak at the end of the season? Will it be the Elks or the Red Blacks or the Rough Riders? Are we talking just the 2023 season, or are we carrying over from previous seasons? The Riders are on a huge one starting. This is what, 13 now for Ottawa and Edmonton's at 18. Now, if Edmonton wins, let's say over in the next week or two, Ottawa's next up. And if they win, then Saskatchewan's next up. Just a thought. I would have to say probably Edmonton. I I believe that they are all going to win a home game at some point this year. The question is when and against who. Uh, that's that's a, a tough one to call at this point, but Edmonton's streak has continued quite a bit longer than the other two at this point. We'll get into our predictions in a few minutes, but 
spoiler alert, I think it's going to continue for one more week. Uh, so that'll push them into into 19, 19 losses. You know, well, well, it remains to be seen. It is it, it does throw the the home field advantage numbers very askew when you've got a couple of teams that are struggling this badly to win at home. Calgary goes into Ottawa, wins 26 to 15. Jake Mayer, who struggled week one, really came together with his game in the second half in Ottawa. Overall, he's 22 of 33 for 322 and looked sharp as that game went on. The one thing that was really evident was that Dave Dickinson was getting him to roll out of the pocket to create space. An improved game by Jake Mayer. I believe he still has more to show as the number one quarterback in Calgary. 332 yards is a decent night. Only one passing touchdown, however. And as we'll get to some other games here, the ability to put the ball in the end zone becomes a a key indicator of performance, not just the total number of yards that you throw for. So red zone needs to be better for the Stampeders if I'm going to buy in on Jake Mayer being the guy. Mayer actually scored a rushing touchdown. He didn't throw one. The tandem of Tyree Adams and Nick Arbuckle didn't fare so well. And Nick Arbuckle really didn't play well. 12 of 21 for 108 yards. That's nine yards per. That's not going to cut it. And really evident was that opening drive where Ottawa goes down the field and then three straight plays, Arbuckle, whether by design or by choice, zones in on Nate Bahar and doesn't come close at any of those three passes when they have a chance to score. This may be the last opportunity for Nick Arbuckle. We'll have to see what what happens. They are going into a bye now. Jeremiah Mazzoli has had some time on the field in practice, so we'll see if he's ready to go. But Nick Arbuckle has not shown enough to be the guy to stabilize that offense. Tyree Adams came in 9 of 16 for 129 yards, both through an interception Adams seemed to be a little bit of a spark to that offense as well. So it might be time for Bob Dice and the crew to start looking at those other options at quarterback. Dice, after the game, said that they found every way possible to hamstring themselves with their own mistakes. This one really bothered him because it seemed like Ottawa, every time they got an opportunity, they either took a penalty or gave up the ball immediately. Winnipeg and Saskatchewan on Friday night. The Blue Bombers haven't lost in Regina since, I think, before the Titanic sank. Continue to win with a 45-27 victory. The game was close at halftime, though, 17-14. Again, as we elocuted earlier, Janarian Grant's punt return flipped the field, flipped the game, and seemed to knock the stuffing out of the Rough Riders. It was close at half, and and Saskatchewan even came out and scored on the opening drive in the second half to take the lead. One stat is this is the first time that the Riders have managed to score over 20 points against the Bombers since 2019. So a bright spot there. Trevor Harris looked very sharp at quarterback as well on most of the plays. 29 for 41, 413 yards, three passing touchdowns, and... He found some holes in that Winnipeg defense. He was dropping balls in there to the receivers. Unfortunately, there was a few other situations where he had a chance 
and either a slight overthrow or slight underthrow, but it could have easily been pushing 500 yards if he connected on a couple more of those. Zach Kolaris for Winnipeg does what he always does, 23 of 31, 293. Of course, what he did well was find Dalton Schoen. It was a big game for Dalton Schoen. He's a bit banged up in practice. He took some shots, but this is what we saw from him last year. Eight, eight receptions, 145 yards, and a touchdown. Some key, I believe five of those eight completions were on second down conversions. So an, an important receiver to keep moving the ball. And Zach Kolaris not only found his receivers, he had his first rushing touchdown since 2015, I believe, was the stat that I saw. So Zach doing it with his arm again and found an opening and, and took it to the house himself. Tevin Jones and Sean Bain Jr. had great nights. Nine receptions for 121 for Jones, six for 132 for Bain. The Rough Riders, as we mentioned earlier, three of four in the score zone. That's not a Trevor Harris stat in his career, but on this night, it looked like that offense seemed to capitalize when the opportunities availed. One question that I have for you, the Blue Bombers have given up 58 points in their first two games. Is that a concern with that defense? It's a bit of a difference from last season where it seemed the offense did just enough to win, where so far this season the offense is carrying the team for the Blue Bombers. There are some key guys missing on that Bombers defense. Jackson Jeffcoat, Kyrie Wilson to name two. There's a few other players if they start getting those pieces back. But as I mentioned, Trevor Harris found some holes in that secondary for some long completions. So that Bombers defense that has previously been playing a, a bend-don't-break had a few breaks this time around. Three receiving touchdowns against is something that we haven't seen often over the last couple of seasons. So yes, it is a bit of a concern at this point, but if they're going to score 40-some points a game on offense they're still finding ways to win. We finished the weekend in British Columbia at BC Place where the Lions hand it to the Edmonton Elks 22 to nothing. A rare shutout pitched in the Canadian Football League. And just some quick sort of review. The last time that BC shut out a team, Tuesday, August 23rd, 1977, versus Toronto, a 30 to nothing win at Empire Stadium. Last time Edmonton was shut out was Sunday, August 15th, 1976 against Saskatchewan at Taylor Field, a 40 to nothing loss. And just for those trivia buffs out there, the largest CFL shutout, Winnipeg 56 to nothing over Saskatchewan at Winnipeg Stadium on Saturday, July 5th, 1986, were famously Saskatchewan head coach Jack Gotta on the final play of the game, 20-some yards away from the end zone, decided to throw into the end zone as opposed to kick the field goal and break the shutout. This one's a, a tough loss for the Edmonton Elks. Head coach Chris Jones has thrown his support behind Taylor Cornelius and continues to do so, saying that he is their number one quarterback. The numbers he put up this week did not look great. We talked about it in week one as well, of how much of a leash does he have. Taylor Cornelius only completed 13 of 22 for 103 yards in this game. That's a low, low passing number for a CFL quarterback. We'll see what happens moving forward, but those numbers 
I would be leaning towards giving Trey Ford a chance if I was the head coach in that in that team. The 103 yards that he put up, he had a 102 yard completion to to Eugene Lewis in opening night competition against the Rough Riders in Edmonton. I understand why Chris Jones is throwing his support behind Cornelius. He really wants him to succeed. He is the most veteran of the quarterbacks that he has. So he's looking at the stable and going, that's a lot of youth, maybe a lot of talent, but a lot of youth that I may be forced to go to. Edmonton's quarterbacking group is probably the youngest of any team in the CFL. So they're going to have some growing pains. Vernon Adams Jr. on the other side, 25 of 35 for 324 yards. Two weeks in a row now, he's posted over 300 yards against Alberta football teams. One interception, one touchdown. Very typical Vernon Adams night. The Lions could have run away with this one early, but interception was called back due to a penalty. And then, of course, the other touchdown was called back due to Booth review that took 14 points off the board. It could have been a much different feel to that night. This is the Vernon Adams Jr. that we're used to seeing over the the time in Montreal, especially up until the last season or two. He, he seems to be back and a great fit for him taking over from Nathan Rourke as the number one quarterback in BC. There's some injuries starting to creep in a little bit. We'll see what happens this week coming up. But solid numbers from Vernon Adams. And again, Taquan Mizell looks like an up-and-coming running back in the league. 18 carries for 93 yards. Uh, a solid night for him. And two weeks in a row that he has been a very, very solid and reliable running back for the Lions. The Lions with over 33,000 at the game. That's the largest attendance of any game this season. Huge crowd. In the last game of the week... Chad Kelly led the Toronto Argonauts to a 32-14 win in Hamilton over the Tiger Cats. A solid night for Chad Kelly as the number one guy, 14 of 23, 238 yards. No passing touchdowns, but he ran them in himself on three occasions. Chad Kelly looked dynamic out there. He completed long balls, he completed short balls, he ran when he had to, he took some hellacious hits at times, but he stood in. And you could just see an energy in that Argonauts offense. Hamilton, of course, their big concern, Bo Levi Mitchell. Not sure if it was the hit from Winton McManus or not. I don't think so. He was rolling out in the end zone and he went down very, very quickly after just being pushed. Grabbed his leg. Could be a groin pull. He is out. Wow, for the Tiger Cats. This was their... They were pinning so much on his ability to take them somewhere, and he's out already. That's a tough hit for the Tiger Cats. The bright spot for them is Matthew Shields came in in relief and went 13 of 14. So if there's a capable second quarterback in the league, Matthew Shields seems to be the guy. We don't know yet how long Bolivar Mitchell is going to be out. He hasn't been placed on a six-game injured list or anything at this point. It's a a game-to-game it's been reported that he will actually dress for this game, but not play. So if something very strange happens and both the other two quarterbacks go down, he may have to step in. But at this point, the fact that he's dressing would indicate that it's maybe a game or two that he's going to miss. 
Two interceptions from Bo Levi Mitchell, both in the opponent's end zone, both involving Dekeel Williams on that side. Whether Dekeel Williams was the intended receiver or not, something broke down in the communication. Uncharacteristic, for sure. Um, And just to get back to Chad Kelly a little bit here, he had numbers that, to me, kind of are similar to what Zach Kolaris has put up for Winnipeg over the last couple of seasons completing about 65 to 70% of his passes, not a huge number of yards, but just moving the ball effectively and getting it done when they have to. There was a lot of questions about whether or not Chad Kelly was a number one quarterback in this league. His first audition here in, in their first game of the season would indicate that he is. It's a long way to go, but he has that confidence to lead, which can can really inspire that team behind him. He found DeMonte Coxey for 131 yards, including a 59-yarder. Interesting thing with those two is that they spent time as the backups last year, so they would be the scout team or the the pretend to be the opposition for the, for the first stringers. And uh, they had a lot of opportunity to work together. And so many times you see that where a guy steps up and somebody comes with as a receiver and they have chemistry already. He has probably thrown four or five times as many balls to Coxie as he has any of the other receivers in the lineup. So he, he knows to look to him. He knows the tendencies of what Coxie's going to do to try to get open. And that's a great first game to have that relationship and that comfort between the two. Now, as the season progresses, he'll have to start looking to Curly Gittins Jr., Devaris Daniels, all the other weapons that he's going to have in his arsenal. Nice touch to uh, Andrew Harris scoring a rushing touchdown. The home team went away with a big win. Television ratings out. Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, nearly 700,000 views, followed by that Edmonton and BC game. Calgary and Ottawa, Hamilton and Toronto didn't hit the mark as much, but numbers not bad overall, averaging out to 439 in week two. That's up and I think really respectable. Third down. One of the new things that's coming out this year is the uh, PFF grading system. And if you need to know more about how it's calculated, it's too much for me to explain here. Go to pff.com backslash grades and they'll write, they have a good write-up of how everything is determined. Matthew Schiltz comes out of the week with the highest score of 90.1. Interestingly, at the bottom of the 10 that they've listed here is Bo Levi Mitchell, at 39. Chad Kelly's in the middle. Trevor Harris is in the middle. Zach Kolaris, Vernon Adams are almost tied between second and third. It, it seems accurate if we look at Bo Levi Mitchell throwing two interceptions at key times. I don't know if it's kind of a weighted scoring system when it takes those types of things into account. It's a multi-layered grading system. That's why I say go to pff.com and find out because there's way more to it than just, oh, they got a touchdown. <laughs> it's quality play. It's decision-making. It's all kinds of things. To Monty Coxie, uh, it leads receivers at 78.9.
Dalton Schoen right behind at 77. No surprise there. Running back, Brady Oliveira, 77.9 was his PFF rushing grade. Taquan Mizell with the Lions was 74.8. And on and then you can go offensive line, you can go defensive line with Julian Hauser for the Stampeders, had a 90.5 grade. Defensive back, Robertson Daniel, the Argonauts, 81.7 led the way. Adam Big Hill, who else, led the linebackers at 74.4. It's really, if you're into fantasy and you're into the weekly player fantasy where you've got to build a lineup, that's a great resource on CFL.ca to go to to find out how players are grading out and see what kind of trends there are. Let's go to our picks. For week three, scary time for me <laughs> because I'm doing so poorly. <laughs> anyway, well, it's always an adventure anytime I make a pick. I know not what I do, just that I'm doing it. We open up Thursday night with the BC Lions in Winnipeg. This is a really interesting game. Oliveira may not be playing for the Blue Bombers. Dalton Schoen got beat up in Regina. I loved his attitude about it. They asked him, you took a lot of big hits out there, and he said, that's football. I love it. It looks like he's going to play. Brady Oliveira is more in doubt than than shown at this point. Dominic Rhymes out for the BC Lions, however, which is a big hit to that offense. It looks like Lucky Whitehead will be back at receiver, so they kind of have one in, one out for the Lions. Bombers at home, minus 6.5 favorites. Seems like every week they're around a touchdown. I'm picking the Blue Bombers to cover. Winnipeg at home are dynamite at the best of times. This game they'll be jacked up for because it's the BC Lions. It's a team they met in the West Final last year. Both teams coming in undefeated. That should draw some more eyeballs to this game. It should be a really interesting game. Right now, these are the two top dogs in the West going at it. This should be the game of the week. It's the opportunity to see where both of these teams stand they're both they're both undefeated winnipeg had bc's number last year even with nathan rourke at the helm i i believe this continues this year with vernon adams taking over on offense i'm picking winnipeg at home they are a tough out at home they don't they haven't lost a lot of games at investors group field over the last few seasons so this one this early in the season Winnipeg to win and cover the six and a half. In fact, it's unanimity across the board. Pat has sent in his picks. He's picking Winnipeg to cover. Andrew Hoskins of the uh, Turf District podcast, who's graciously joined us for this year, has sent in his picks, Winnipeg to cover. It would be a stunner. And the only thing I could think of is that either Calaris really has a bad day at the office or BC figures out that the Winnipeg secondary isn't as strong as anyone thinks. Friday night, Hamilton hosts the Alouettes Sons, Bo Levi Mitchell. Matthew Schiltz gets the call. This is an interesting one with Matthew Schiltz coming in against his old team, the Montreal Alouettes. He looked sharp in relief last week. Hamilton is currently sitting at a two and a half point favorite. I'm I'm calling the upset on this one. I believe that Cody Fajardo and the Alouettes come into Hamilton and eke out a close win, but Montreal will pull off the upset. You are alone on this. All the rest of us pick Hamilton. Pat picks them not to cover the two and a half. 
Matthew Schultz could be one of the most underrated quarterbacks this league has. And we're about to find out a little bit more about him. He stepped up last year time and time and time again and guided that team. And maybe if Bo is out for a while, this is his time to really put a stamp on his career in Hamilton. Montreal's defense, they're great. Cody Fajardo, he's away from the shining lights. He's on the road. That, that will be an interesting game as well. The Ticats have got to get out of their losing ways. Saturday night, Stampeders host the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Calgary is minus 3.5 favorites. After what I saw in Ottawa, I think Calgary's offense has come together. Jake Mayer is finding his receivers, getting their groove together. Reggie Bagleton had a big night. Odoms Dukes had a big night. Stampeders are getting to the point where I think they could be scary. Saskatchewan, yes, put up 27 against the Blue Bombers, but it was a loss. Calgary is Death Valley for the Rough Riders. They just don't win there. I don't see how that's going to change. Minus 3.5, I think, is generous to the Rough Riders, Calgary to cover. I'm going the opposite way. These streaks have to come to an end at some point, just like the home losing streaks for the teams that we got into earlier. Eventually, the Rough Riders are going to win a game in Calgary. Why not this week? One of the most impressive things in that loss to Winnipeg was that receiving core with some lesser-known guys really stepped up for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I believe that continues on this week. If Trevor Harris is as accurate as he was last week, I smell an upset and I'm taking the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to go into Calgary and pull out the win. If there's a defense that he can take advantage of, it may be the Stampeders. They're not getting a lot out of their four-man rush, or not as much, I guess, as they'd want. So they can't drop into big, heavy zones in the backfield. So you may see more man-to-man coverage. The downside, of course, is that their corners are fantastic at man-to-man coverage. So it's, (laughs) which poison do you take if you're the Rough Riders? I'm the only one going with the Stampeders out of the four of us. As you indicated, you're going with the Riders. Pat is as well, and so is Andrew. I'm not sure what's in that tea that those leaves are pointing that direction, but we'll soon see. Sunday, the Toronto Argonauts, the undefeated Toronto Argonauts, go into Edmonton to take on the Edmonton Elks. Edmonton, of course, reeling after that 22 to nothing loss in Vancouver. We know that Taylor Cornelius is going to be starting in spite of the fact that he hasn't played well, but his coach believes that he can get better. Some people are thinking McAdoo needs to go. That's not the answer. McAdoo has developed Michael Riley into an MOP candidate. He's turned Cody Fajardo into an MOP candidate. It's not McAdoo that's the problem with this offense. Whether Cornelius isn't seeding the field, whether Cornelius is just not confident in his throws, he needs to step up. And if you're going to do it, this is the time. That's a great Toronto defense. They're going to give you a thousand looks. I'm picking Toronto to cover, but boy, at minus 6.5 on the road, ouch. I'm with you on this one, Don. I'm also picking the Argonauts to come in and and cover the spread and Unfortunately for the Elks, their home losing streak to continue. That offense looks lost at this point. I just don't feel that 
the Toronto Argonauts defense is the one that they're going to break out of that slump against. So Toronto might not put up a ton of points, but it's one of those situations where they're going to keep the elk score low and do enough to cover that six and a half point spread. Toronto's defensive line is a line that can put pressure on and they can drop extra people into coverage. That's going to make it a tougher night for Cornelius. That It's a sweep across the board. Andrew, yourself, myself, and Pat have all gone with Toronto to cover on the road in Edmonton on Sunday night. The one nice thing for me, I'm going to be in Calgary on Saturday and then in Edmonton on a rare doubleheader where the Alberta teams are home on consecutive nights. I'm going to catch me some CFL football live in those two stadiums. I'm looking forward to it. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.